Hello, this is Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a great privilege to introduce this podcast. In it, we'll be discussing the paper, Behavioral Comorbidity in Tanzanian Children with Epilepsy, a Community-Based Case Control Study, which has been authored by Catherine Burton, Jane Ragath, Ewan Hunter, Matthew Burton, Mark Swy, Jim Todd, Brian Neville, Richard Walker, and Charles Newton, which is due to be published in the December issue of the journal. It will be discussed by Professor Charles Newton, who is the Shell and Reese Scott Chair of Neuropsychiatry at the University of Oxford, United Kingdom, who is one of the authors, and Professor David Dunn, who is Professor of Child Neurology and Child Psychiatry at the University of Indiana in the USA. Professor Dunn and Dr. Yoda have written a commentary on the paper as well. Please can we turn to you, Charles, to summarize the paper. So this is a paper which was based upon work by Katie Burton, who's been working in the High District, which is the northern part of Tanzania, up on the slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. And as part of a survey in which she tried to identify children with epilepsy in a demographic surveillance area, she looked at the behavioral comorbidity in the children that she identified with epilepsy. In the 112 children that she identified with epilepsy, she found that there were behavioral disorders in 66% of them, compared to 19% controls, which were randomly selected from the demographic surveillance database. Of particular note was that attention problems were present in 53% of children with epilepsy, compared to 17% in the controls. And really the outshot of this paper, which is a community-based survey, is to emphasize the amount and the extent of the behavioral comorbidity in children with epilepsy, something which is not often addressed in the context of epilepsy in Africa, but it's certainly something that is reported to us who work in clinics in Africa and by the parents. And really, this was the emphasis of this paper. David, do you want to comment, please? I found this a very well-designed study, and to the best of my knowledge, is one of the only population-based studies of behavioral problems of children with epilepsy in Africa. I think one of the things it helps us do is identify both neurological and mental health needs in less developed areas. It's also a study that fits very well with the World Health Organization's call for an increased emphasis on global mental health and addresses their recommendation for solid research in the global mental health arena. Maybe as a first question, I might ask Dr. Newton about how this study compares to some of the studies he's done in Kenya, looking at the incidence and the prevalence, the etiologies of epilepsy in that country. Yes, so this complements some of the studies that we've conducted on the coast of Kenya in Kalifi where we have documented a high incidence of epilepsy, particularly occurring between children the ages of 6 and 14 years of age. And we think that this might be a consequence of their being exposed to CNS infections, in particular malaria, but also one of the other independent risk factors for development of epilepsy in that cohort was neonatal injury or neonatal abnormalities that were documented at the birth. Some of these were quite difficult to document in the context that since most of the births occur at home and there's no antenatal or perinatal records, and so this is based entirely upon the history from the mother. We have conducted similar studies on behavior in Khaleesi in Kenya, but these were post hoc analyses. And so Katie's study really was the first uh, prospective study in which she set out to look at behavior in children with epilepsy that were identified in a cross-sectional survey. 
know one of the things that many of us have been concerned about is this concept of treatment gap. As you look at the children in both Kenya and the uh, children reported in this study, how many of the children were receiving adequate care for their epilepsy? So in this study, only about 53% of children were actually receiving any antiepileptic drugs or had reported taking any antiepileptic drugs. The situation in Kenya is actually considerably worse. In our first surveys, we were documenting up to 90% of children were not receiving any antiepileptic drugs at all for their epilepsy in this age group. One of the differences is maybe differences in the socioeconomic factors because in the Kenyan study we work in a very poor area of Kenya, which is the, in fact the second poorest area of Kenya, and so that might be responsible for the difference in the treatment gap. Um, we've also been investigating, for example, some of the traditional beliefs that may also contribute to this treatment gap in that people don't believe that epilepsy is a biomedical disease and as a result often go to traditional healers for their care rather than coming to health facilities. That brings up an interesting question. Do you use the traditional healers to help with definition of cases and with treatment of these children? So in Kenya and in Tanzania we've engaged with the traditional healers. We think that in fact everybody who has developed seizures uh, particularly convulsive seizures, certainly in Kenya um, and probably also in Tanzania, go to traditional healers first and foremost, and then are subsequently come to biomedical facilities within the area. The work that we've done in Kenya suggests that they provide a very important psychosocial role in that they provide an explanation of their epilepsy which is intelligible to the family, although it is often couched in cultural context, for example, epilepsy is caused by ancestors or spirits. They also spend a lot more time with epilepsy, maybe even up a whole morning with the family of epilepsy, rather than the sort of short periods they get access to medical staff at clinics. And finally, one of the other things that Nat Kendall-Taylor, who did a PhD with us on the subject, found was that the traditional healers have a very flexible payment system. So even though they are consulted, they don't expect immediate payment, and they will often take payment in kind, for example, in terms of agricultural produce such as chickens. And this payment system can go on for months, if not years, during the treatment of children with epilepsy in this context. More recently, over the last couple of years, we've actually conducted a trial identifying a designated supporter for children with epilepsy and also the traditional healer who is consulted and providing them with extra information and education in the context of biomedical causes of epilepsy and particularly the usefulness of biomedical treatment in terms of antiepileptic drugs. We have just finished that trial and we're just about done blind in the next couple of months, so we don't have the results of it just yet. That's an interesting study. It, it seems to me that one of the problems with providing more traditional care is that there's a lack of availability of EEG in the more rural areas of Africa, also in a lack of CT scanning or MRI scanning. Were you able to do any EEG or CT scan on this particular uh, population that you looked at in Tanzania? Yes. So Katie managed to do EEG on most of the children in this study and also got CT scans. There was no MRI scanner available within the country at the time that she was performing the study. The EEGs show features which are very consistent with what we found in Kenya in that about a third to a half of children had evidence of EEG abnormalities, 
and three-quarters of these abnormalities were of a focal nature, strongly suggesting that epilepsy in this area is likely to be symptomatic rather than due to the old-fashioned concept of idiopathic. The CT scans also demonstrated some abnormalities, in particular findings of neurosis and also perinatal injuries in these children. Providing care for these children, do you try to use specialist or non-specialist care providers, people like medical officers or nurses? So most of the care for people with epilepsy, both children and adults, is actually done by psychiatric nurses who are trained and who have a couple of modules in the treatment of epilepsy. And this occurs both in Tanzania as well as in Kenya. And so what we have done is that we've emphasized the care of epilepsy with further training to these nurses in these areas and also taken provided training for the clinical officers and medical officers in this context. Again, we've emphasized that epilepsy is controllable with simple drugs such as phenobarbital and that three-quarters of people with epilepsy can expect to have an improvement in their epilepsy if they take their drugs on a regular basis. It's interesting. Are there other drugs besides phenobarbital? And as maybe a second question is that phenobarbital is not often used in more developed countries, and we've worried about the uh, side effects of depression, of problems with attention. Do you see this occurring in Kenya and Tanzania? Yes. So there are other drugs available within the government system, and the other ones being carbamazepine, phenytoin, and sodium valproate, both in Kenya and Tanzania. Although in rural areas where these studies have been conducted both in Kenya and Tanzania, the only one that is consistently supplied to the clinics is phenobarbital. We have been very concerned about the use of phenobarbital, particularly in children, and we have investigated behavioral consequences of being on phenobarbital, similar to studies which have been conducted in Bangladesh and in India. We've not been able to document a strong relationship between the use of phenobarbital and more behavioral problems. One of the reasons why this might occur is that when we've done drug levels on the children and adults who are taking phenobarbital, we often find that they are actually have quite suboptimal levels. And although the phenobarbital is in the blood, they're often lower than the so-called therapeutic ranges that one would expect to see if the person was taking it on, on a regular basis. And so this might explain why we're not seeing any behavioral problems in this context. Do you ever see withdrawal seizures from inadequate supply of medication? Yes. So one of the major problems that we face in Africa is that the continuous supply of a lot of drugs for chronic illnesses, in particular psychiatric and uh, epilepsy, is really problematic. Some of the clinics often run out of their only supply of phenobarbital. We are actually presently conducting a study in which we're documenting all the cases admitted to our hospital in Kenya, which captures a population of about 250,000, um, to see if we can actually relate the admissions with states of epilepticus to um, non-supply of um, anti-epileptic drugs to the district health clinics. That study is ongoing at the moment. We don't have enough data to say either way. I wonder about more advanced care. I noticed a uh, publication in Epilepsia back in 2009 describing a uh, pilot project in Uganda of using epilepsy surgery. Do you think that's an option for certain of these areas? I do. I, given the fact that we think that most of the epilepsy that occurs within Africa has a focal origin, and in particular there is a very high prevalence of discharges coming from the temporal lobe, we don't have enough 
data on imaging to know whether this is likely to be due to hippocampal sclerosis or atrophy. But I think that epilepsy surgery, if it can be done safely, does actually offer a real benefit to populations within resource-poor countries because it is probably the only way of curing epilepsy. And given the difficulties that we have with drug supply, trying to convince patients about the need for taking a drug every day of their life in order to prevent seizures, uh, the concept of prophylaxis is sometimes quite a difficult one to convey in different cultures. I think that this offers a real opportunity to make an impact on the care of epilepsy within Africa and also in Asia. Could I maybe shift directions just a bit? I know there have been some outstanding articles by both Patel and Prince and their group on the neuropsychiatric disorders. They've pointed out that these contribute to about 14% of the global burden of disease. And I noticed in your study that there was a significantly higher risk of behavioral problems. And one of the striking prevalence figures was about school attendance, that the controlled children all seem to be attending school, but that 48% of the children with epilepsy in your study were not in school. Were they not attending school because of behavioral problems, cognitive problems, or was it stigma from epilepsy keeping them out of school? I think it was probably a combination of both. Certainly, if they have seizures at school, they're often marked out and the teachers are very reluctant to have them within school because of the difficulty in managing them if they do have seizures. But also, if a child is disruptive and has attention problems in school, then they're often in classes of going from 30 to 50. The teacher often has difficulty in controlling them and then will ask the parents to remove them. So I think it's a combination of both the stigma associated with the epilepsy and also the behavioral comorbidity that occurs in the context of epilepsy. Taking care of those children may be a bit harder. I did notice in your study that the children, or at least the boys with attention problems, were more often boys that had the frequent seizures, poorly controlled seizures. Do you think better seizure control would help with behavior in this particular population? Well, I think that is our hope, um, that better treatment and better control will reduce the seizures and ultimately will lead them to a better quality of life and more acceptance by the community. Certainly, we've seen some dramatic incidences where children started taking anti-epileptic drugs, principally phenobarbital. Their seizures have reduced dramatically, and as a result, they've been able to go to school and join in a lot of other activities, such as looking after the sheep or um, goats in Tanzania or fetching water if they're girls. So it potentially can make a profound influence on their quality of life. It's probably the case that you're not going to have medicines like amphetamines or methylphenidate to treat the attentional problems in these children. Do you have people providing some psychosocial care for the children in Kenya and Tanzania? You're quite correct. We, we don't have access to many of the psychiatric drugs that uh, may help these problems. Um, what we have done is that we have emphasized, particularly to the psychiatric nurses, the usefulness of psychosocial support in this context. It is very difficult for them because they are often overwhelmed by the sheer load of number of patients that they have to see. So, for example, one of the epilepsy clinics that we run in Khaleesi by a psychiatric nurse, he will often see in the order of about 30 to 50 patients within a day, which doesn't give him very much opportunity to provide very much support. 
What we have done is that we've again addressed this with the traditional healers to see if they would be interested, and certainly they would be interested in terms of their cultural context. But whether we can train them to do uh, provider support or not, it still needs to be tested. And the other thing that we found very useful is in terms of support organizations, in particular women's groups, which are often groups of women who club together mainly from an economic basis to buy quantities of seed um, in bulk so that they get discounts, um, have taken on health as one of their priorities. And if we can get them involved in these sort of initiatives, then we might be able to make a difference. For example, we've got them involved in improving communication in children with communication disorders and we were able to show an increase or improvement in communication in those children with communication impairment through women's groups in a study with Sally Hartley. That sounds potentially very effective. It might also really reduce the uh, amount of stigma that could be associated with epilepsy by providing some education for the community. I've noticed that there have uh, been several reports about treating depression and anxiety disorders by using trained community workers, and so that could be potentially very beneficial for these children. Do you have any additional studies that you're planning for this particular population? Well, at the moment, we are thinking about how to, first of all, try and reduce the treatment gap, which I think is a paramount important through both education and also through working with the ministry in order to improve supply of anti-epileptic drugs to these communities. Secondly, on the risk factors on the etiology, we'd like to try and get more information and data on why the prevalence and incidence of epilepsy is so high in many parts of Africa. And in this regard, we've just finished a set of studies of cross-sectional studies of epilepsy and case control studies in five other countries of Africa in order to look at the difference in etiology in different ecological zones, particularly concentrating on parasitic diseases such as neurosiscosis, toxicara, toxoplasmosis, and malaria. And thirdly, I think that one of the things that we're quite keen, given the fact that we consistently identify neonatal insults as an independent risk factor for the development of epilepsy, uh, particularly in children, in a number of different studies, we would like to try and get further imaging on these children in order to work out exactly what's happened and whether we can actually intervene with better obstetric and perinatal care. It sounds like an outstanding series of studies that you're planning and and really important for a group that's received very limited care in the past. You're to be congratulated on this, and good luck with getting them all done. That's very kind of you. Thank you. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Unfortunately, Dr. Burton, the first author, was unable to join us from Tanzania. Thank you, Professor Newton and Professor Dunn, very much indeed for a most informative discussion. It's very important since, as you have said in the article, such a large amount of the burden of epilepsy falls on children in resource-poor countries, and studies like this are clearly vital. It's a sobering reminder, really, of the amount of unmet need that there is in so many parts of the world. I've certainly got a lot out of this and feel quite chastened listening to you. It's very encouraging hearing all the work you're trying to do to help as well. Thank you very much. And just to remind our listeners that the article is entitled Behavioral Comorbidity in Tanzanian Children with Epilepsy, a Community-Based Case Control Study by Burton et al. coming out in the December issue of the journal. Thank you very much.